0: Previously on All Relative, Defining Diego.
1: So it must be very hard for you to feel like you have a family in Minnesota, but you also have a family here.
0: Not that R. D-E-L-I-C-I-S-A-S.
2: No, it's too short. That would be delisas. You want to say Deliciosas.
1: We just need another week. We just gotta, there's just some paperwork problems. The lawyer tells me everything's gonna be fine. And then, you know, a week would go by and, and it wouldn't be any different.
3: Okay, who's exactly.
1: That is your birth father. Is it more complication than he can deal with, you know? Is it more complication than he should be dealing with? What do you think? I think it probably is. And I think it's one of the consequences of coming back here.
2: So, Diego, this was from back in 2008. You were 10, and we were visiting your birth village with some other adoptive families. And, you know, Dan and I haven't always agreed on whether visiting your birth village is a good idea. I think the more information you have about your roots, the better.
0: Yeah, but dad's a worrier.
1: Besides being uh, a lot of family stuff to dump on them, the truth is, is that all of our kids, all of our kids that were born in Guatemala and put up for adoption, they are a shameful secret in their families of origin. And when we come, you know, stumbling down here and uh, intruding on their lives, It's sort of like, we're we're opening that secret. And that can lead to all kinds of crap for them and for us and for our kids. There's one
2: remaining secret that Dan and I actually agree on. For years, we agreed not to push for information about your birth father.
0: My whole life, I had always heard the same stories about Cristobal.
2: Yeah, and because of those stories, I worried about you meeting him. I worried about what kind of doors we could open and not be able to close.
0: We had always heard claims that Cristobal drank too much and was abusive, but we never knew for sure. When my sister Julia died, Isabel told you guys she died from a sickness. But then some kids in the village told me a different story.
1: I know how she died. She was sick and she stole mango and... Um, Her dad got really um, out of control and he kicked her in the
3: stomach and she died.
0: We may never know why Julia died, but really both the things we heard could be true. Cristobal may have kicked her and she might've had kidney disease like I did. The whole time I was a kid, I told myself that my birth father Cristobal was why bad things happened. In my mind, he was the reason I was adopted in the first place. I blamed him for Isabel being poor and having to relinquish her sons. He left her pregnant, he came and went as he pleased, and he didn't support the family. I had this image of him as this out of control tough guy with a violent streak. So when I had my own problems, Cristobal became my scapegoat. Like when I was angry and destructive, which, you know, I was a lot when I was a teenager, I wondered if it was because I was his son. Now that I'm grown, I don't care as much about whether I'm like him or not. I just want to meet him. I have some things I want to say to him and some things I want to ask him, one man to another. I'm Diego Shikai-Luke.
2: I'm Lori Stern.
0: And from something else, in Sony Music Entertainment, this is All Relative. Defining Diego. Episode 7. What's on paper? I always believed Isabel relinquished me because she wanted to give me a better life. A life that I couldn't have had if I stayed in Guatemala. But... I never knew what Cristobal knew about me. I'm excited. I want to meet my dad. But you guys think that's not a good idea. That's me when I was 16, talking to you and dad in Minnesota. What are your
2: expectations?
0: I don't know. I feel like, honestly, he's a changed dude.
2: From what to what?
0: From some hard-ass dude who fought in a war and stuff to just someone who is trying to survive the everyday life of the economy. I had that one picture of Cristobal, you know, the one Isabel gave me when I was little. It's a picture of a skinny teenager in a military uniform holding an assault rifle. And I always wondered what he was doing. So when we went to Guatemala when I was 16, I had the chance to ask Isabel. What did Cristobal do during the war?
4: Uh, haa, tahar, eh,
0: <laughs> Isabel and Dolores told me the story. When Cristobal was 14, two years younger than I was, he and his father were working in another town, and the Guatemalan army picked him up. Literally, they threw him in the back of a truck, then they took him up to a base in the mountains.
4: Cristobal, um, like it used to be uh, like a teenagers, the army or the soldier, they just come, you want it or not, it's not volunteer, and to become a soldier. That's what's happened to
0: him. This kind of thing happened all the time in the Civil War. I mean, just imagine you're a kid walking down the street and a truck full of soldiers pulls up and tells you to get in. He was an indigenous boy like me forced to fight for an army notorious for killing indigenous people, our people. For indigenous people, soldiers in the army were the bad guys. So when he returned to Santiago Atitlan years later, I can only imagine what kind of welcome he received. I mean, it just makes me wonder, what does that do to a man? When I heard the story as a 16-year-old, I started thinking. I was Cristobal's age, well, right around it, and I could put myself in his shoes. I wondered about the reasons for Cristobal's drinking and violent behavior that I had heard growing up. Maybe the war broke him in some way. I wanted to hear his side of the story. So when we were planning our trip to Guatemala in 2022, I was feeling a sense of purpose. This trip wasn't like all the others. It was a mission and I was searching for answers. I had three main things to accomplish. Number one, get a Guatemalan DPI. That's like a social security card. I needed that to get a Guatemalan passport. I plan to travel the world someday, and I want the freedom to travel as a Guatemalan or as a U.S. citizen. Because I'm both. Number two. Dig deeper into my birth family's stories. I wanted to know more about Isabel and all my relatives. Number three. Meet Cristobal. For the first time. So... In March 2022, we got on a plane to Guatemala. The last time I was there, I was a teenager. Now, I was a man with a college degree and a job.
2: And when we got there, you were the
0: reporter, and Dan and I were along for the ride. Stay with us.
3: Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that.
0: Mission number one, the paper trail. Ah,
2: estoy bien aquí. Gracias.
0: So we got up the first morning and my producer Mia and I met our driver Oswaldo. He was the short, funny man from near Santiago Atitlan and he has a great head of black hair. We're doing this to, to renew my passport, to uh, get my Guatemalan passport. We were on our way to the Guatemala National Registry of Persons, known as RENAP for short. Guatemala has a ton of RENAP offices around the country, kind of like the DMV back home. The nearest one was only a 10-minute drive from our hotel, and I wanted to see if I could go back to the States with two passports in my pocket. Why is this important to you? Like, I've always been hesitant to call myself Guatemalan, in a way, and I think this kind of validates... Who I am, and and that's kind of not really a good way to judge yourself by a passport. But uh, I think it'll it'll help. I mean, I've had a bunch of pieces of paper about me that I don't think kind of define me, like my report cards and my behavior reports and my medication chart. And this felt so tangible; it was something I could bring home with me.
3: Toward 11 Calle, then turn left onto
0: 11 Calle. After some bad spanglish on the GPS, we got to the office, and it really was like a DMV. Get a number and wait until that number and letter combo shows up in bright lights above a window. People were standing in line, waiting for their numbers to be called. (laughs) Necesito una identificación, porque fui adaptado cuando. It took a minute, and some help from our driver Oswaldo, to explain my situation, that I'm adopted. And it was because I was adopted that I wanted to get my DPI, or my identification. I felt prepared walking in, carrying a whole folder of documents. Isabel's photo was in one of them. So was her thumbprint, marking her relinquishment of me. It was all there. But the guy behind the desk seemed totally bewildered. By my papers, by my situation, by me.
3: He
0: said this is the first time he'd met an adoptee. I don't usually get people like this, he said. Honestly, I was shocked. Like... There are tens of thousands of Guatemalan adoptees. So, how is it possible that he hadn't met one? Was my situation really that unique? So, me asked him, What do you think about
3: it?
0: He said, It's complicated. Like, yeah, no shit. After an hour at the RENAP office, I broke the news to you and Dan that we weren't going to be leaving with my DPI that day.
2: Yeah, we were back by the hotel having breakfast.
0: Like, we just have to like go in like 15 days and be like, hey, you guys figure this out?
1: Yeah, and I just want to um, throw out the possibility that you go back in 15 days and they say, oh, uh, sorry, we don't have it yet, but come back next week which is basically what happened when you were born and we tried to bring you home.
0: Right, I know.
2: And it was the same time of year, too. It was like end of February, beginning of March, delay yeah, after delay
0: after delay. I think it's uh, probably a little more regulated now. It seems like he could have just been like, okay, we'll just choose one and go with it. You know what I mean?
1: Well. I- and when you were born, it was, the same, it was the same problem. It wasn't that it wasn't regulated. It was that uh, someone was telling a lie. And the, and the regulators were like, no, wait, this is all fucked up. Something's not right here. So the regulators are trying to get it right.
0: But I wasn't giving up yet. The most difficult missions are the ones that require a little more reconnaissance. So, after breakfast, Mia and I climbed back into the van. And we went to a different office. The Renap Central Office. It was on a busy street, taxis and chicken buses honking, vendors selling food, and exhaust fumes mixing with the smell of hot pavement. And this time, I tried a different approach. Instead of handing over the whole folder, I just gave them one piece of paper. It was the birth certificate that said I was born in Esquintla, a coastal city in the south of Guatemala. A couple hours later, back at the hotel, you and Dan and I went over the shenanigans again.
2: What place are they registering as the place where you were born?
0: Esquintla, I think. Yeah. So
2: that's not what you're. That's not what we waited nine months for the form to say.
0: I think there's always going to be a discrepancy, and I don't think we're ever really going to know where I was actually born. Well, Isabel, Isabel knows. knows. Yes, I know. We can ask her when we see her. Like, where was I actually born? I mean, for their record keeping purposes, did they write down Esquintla? I think so. I'm pretty sure they wrote down Esquintla.
2: Wow.
1: If only it had been that easy twenty-three years ago. No,
2: it it was. It was. I mean, there were two pieces of paper. One said Esquintla. One said Santiago Atitlan. The PGN wouldn't let you go until their records were reconciled. The new lawyer made sure that your birth certificate said Santiago Atitlan, and then we were out of there. Yeah, I
3: guess. Well,
1: if that all got cleared up, then why is it still a question?
0: Now. That is that is the question. Why is it not cleared up now? Why are there still multiple ones? And I think that's one of the things we're looking at is probably someone got paid off here or there to just look the other way and be like...
1: So they never corrected the record. So
0: they, so they might not have actually corrected it.
1: Yeah, it, it's bureaucratic bullshit. It's
2: just fascinating that, when, you know, as an official Guatemalan, You'll be registered as having been born in Esquintla when all those nine months of waiting to leave here, it was about getting them to say you were born in Santiago de Tilan.
0: But does it, I want to ask you, does it feel like your nine months was just wasted? Like, what's your reaction to, like, is it, is it just funny?
2: <laughs> no, it's not funny. Honestly, I'm a little sad that you weren't born in Santiago de be, because... It's Santiago de Tilan, which is a place we know and love, and also because um, we waited nine months for the record to say you were, and now it turns out the record is going to say you were born somewhere else. Yeah,
1: but you know, it's just—it's not real. It's just a record. Yeah,
2: intellectually, but
0: yeah, you know. So you have no feelings one way or the other about it? I'm not like, oh, Escuintla, oh, go Escuintla, vamos Escuintla. Oh, no, yeah. I don't care. I'm still thinking Santiago Atitlan is my hometown. It's where I'm from. Yeah, I'm still from Santiago Atitlan. You know,
2: I think another thing that's going on for me is I can picture Squintla and the people I talk to there. It has a very different vibe than Santiago Atitlan. And if you could choose a place to be from, this doesn't change I where know, I'm,
0: I'm from, know. Lori. You're acting like this is the end I of the know. fucking world. I'm just, I am not. not acting
2: like it's the end of the fucking world.
0: What are you acting
1: like?
2: I'm just trying to be precise about what I'm thinking and feeling
0: right now. Yeah,
1: mm, okay. That's good.
0: The important thing is I don't care, and I know in my heart that Santiago Atilan is my hometown. Yeah, you know, that's what matters. A man of the lake. Lago Atilan, that's my home. That lake, that area— I'm proud to be from there. And I know I'm Tutu Hill. That doesn't change that I'm Tutu Hill. I don't think that's kind of the big thing. It's like, Isabel is still my mother. Cristobal is still my father. They're from Santiago Titlan. Therefore I'm from Santiago Titlan. Cause just because I was born one other place and it says that on a piece of paper doesn't mean I'm actually like from there, right?
2: You are anti
1: Yeah.
2: So, Diego, can we go back to the Esquintla versus Santiago thing for a second, you know, about where you were born? I think the reason it bothers me so much is that it's like two different stories. I mean, you being from Santiago at that's everything beautiful, everything we've built, you know, our relationships with Isabel and Dolores and how much we love the lake. But Esquintla is like the opposite. It's hot. And flat and industrial, and one of their industries used to be adoption. It's where I met that 12 year old girl, Marvine's birth mother. You know, Marvine'd be just a couple years younger than you. I've never stopped thinking about the two of them. Our facilitator, Rosa, did a ton of business in Esquinla, and that's also where Isabel went to sell peanuts. It's where Rosa met her and convinced her to relinquish the baby she was
0: gonna have, you. So you don't like me being connected to Esquintla. It's like you feel like Esquintla is the adoption racket and Santiago Atitlan is kind of beautiful and above all that. But I am connected to Esquintla.
2: Yeah, you are. I mean, you have your own story and it's pretty wonderful, but we're also connected to the larger story. The story of international adoption and all the sides of it, including the ugly side.
0: The night before we're headed to Santiago Atitlan, we get this call.
2: Yeah, it was Dolores, our friend and translator. We were hoping she'd help you meet up with Cristobal, but she hadn't said yet whether it was going to happen or not. So you're ready for us tomorrow? Yeah.
4: I'm ready. I just wanted to to tell you and what should we do tomorrow? What
2: what, what do we know about Cristobal?
4: Cristobal, I think he he's been drinking for a couple of months now. He's not stopping. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to be there or not. Yeah.
2: How have you talked to Cristobal or are you hearing this from Isabel or how how do you know? No, I just, I just hear from Isabel. So, Diego, you could hear me on the phone with Dolores?
0: Yeah. I mean, I heard you talking about, like, what if there's a way to meet Cristobal without Isabel?
2: And I'm glad you said something because you set me straight about
0: how you wanted it to go. Okay, basically, I don't want to meet him if it puts anyone at risk. And if Isabel is so adamant that you know i part of me doesn't believe he's on a drinking binge just because it's kind of what she says all the time i think it's just her way of like not wanting me to meet him at the end of the day i think i respect her decision like i don't want to do it without her blessing because i feel like she knows what's best i get to go to back to the us i don't have to deal with any of the repercussions of what might happen and my might You know, the family's already has a tough family life, and I think me throwing a wrench in there could just make things harder. Um, It could make things easier. I mean, they might not have talked for a long time, and now they get to talk again. I don't know. After the break, Isabel, stay with us.
1: from Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.
2: I know, but I, please let the mics
0: are in here. We are getting ready to meet my birth family. Everyone is scrambling, mad scramble to find a place to go. Dad's getting the camera ready. Uh, Lori and Mia are getting the microphones ready. The day came,
2: Isabel and Dolores were on their way to our hotel, and we were trying to find a quiet space to meet with them. Yeah, I told Dan not to
0: cry so we don't hear his blubbering
2: behind the camera. We found a grassy clearing away from the bustle of the hotel restaurant. We dragged some chairs over, set up microphone stands, and then we sat down to wait. I was feeling nervous. We hadn't seen Isabel for seven years. We saw Dolores first.
4: Hello, Dolores. Hola, Lori. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. ¿Qué tal? Mucha gusto. Sí.
2: Diego, ¿qué tal? Diego, hola. Mucha gusto.
0: And then Isabel came down the path behind Dolores.
2: Isabel,
4: Hola. estás? ¿Cómo estás? Buenos
2: días. ¿Quién es? Do Josefa.
0: It seemed like Isabel had shrunk. I'm only five feet tall, but even I towered over her.
2: Her face had more wrinkles than I remembered. I'm sure mine did, too. I mean, I'm 66 now, and she'd be in her late 50s. So much time had passed for both of us. She was trailed by a, a shy little boy who peeked out from behind her skirt. I thought, that must be a grandchild.
0: And then his mother, my sister Josefa, showed up too. And she kept him busy while we talked to Isabel.
4: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: So, mission number two, family history. I mean, when I was sick and doctors asked me for my family history, I didn't know it. Not really. But besides the medical part, there have always been gaps. Questions we haven't asked. So, when we sat down for the recording, we explained to Isabel what we're doing with the podcast. One of the things is to let people know more about her life, not just the story of my adoption. So, you asked her.
2: Can you tell us what it was like to be a little girl here in the village?
4: Yeah, they used to go play as like they were like playing how to do like cooking or laundry with other girls.
2: I guess in the US we would call it playing house. Isabel told us her mother died when she was only eight. After that she worked with her father. They would walk hours to the coast to sell a homemade delicacy called patin.
4: Like a local food, it's wrapped in banana leaves, a little fish, a roasted fish, and soak them and tomato sauce. Sometimes people, they want it like with chili, sometimes no chili. And then that was the kind of uh, business they used to do to make a living, And she has a little basket she puts in her head. That's what she used to do when she was a young girl.
0: There's no escaping the sadness of her childhood during the Civil War. The military took Isabel's brother the same way they took Cristobal. But then they killed her brother, my uncle.
4: Her mother died from sadness. She wanted to find her son, and then she was sad. She stopped eating. She's starting to have, a, like, a stomach problem. She died slowly from sadness.
0: But, you know, there was just something different about Isabel this time. She seemed more comfortable with us. The whole tone was just lighter and easier, even
2: though we were asking some pretty heavy-duty questions, including about your messed-up birth
0: certificate. Where was I born then?
4: You are born in a squintola. In a hospital.
2: Yeah, so we were sitting there with Isabel, and all of a sudden, you got up and went
0: into the room. I got up because I just thought, like, I wonder if she's ever seen my birth certificate. I went and grabbed the folder of paperwork that we had brought to Renap because one of the pages was called my birth registration, or Registro Civil de Nacimiento.
2: And, like, we hadn't even thought of that. You just thought of it in the moment.
0: Yeah, I mean I just pulled it out and showed it to the lores and Isabel.
2: <laughs>
4: I don't look good <laughs> here in <laughs> this picture
2: she
4: said. <laughs> 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 Has she
0: ever seen <laughs> these before?
4: Let's do have done yes, yes, Yes. Mm-hmm. Because she's, she signing it.
0: I think one thing I think is very interesting in this. Is she, it says she's not indigenous. Really? Yes, it says not indigenous. No indigenous. But we are to, to heal.
4: Uh-huh.
0: So I don't know why they put this. It was about halfway down on this piece of paper in section D, where you're supposed to mark your ethnic group.
4: Yeah, sometimes, if you don't read and write and you get nervous when people, they speak Spanish, they ask questions, you say yes to everything. (laughs) Yeah. She does not remember. It's been 23 years.
0: So, if it wasn't Isabel's choice to check not indigenous, who checked that box? Was it easier to market babies who were not indigenous? Yeah, that was something I hadn't noticed till you pointed it out. But Isabel didn't know who checked that box. And there were other discrepancies between this paper and what Isabel was telling us. For one, the paper said I was born at home and a midwife was there. Isabel said I was born in a hospital, no midwife. Another thing, it said Isabel worked as a domestic. That's not true. She was selling peanuts on the street.
2: And she seemed to think this document was laughable. Like, why would anyone take it seriously? Yeah. But Diego, this was surreal. I mean, you wanting your official paperwork made us ask all these questions again.
0: Like, who would have thought 23 years ago when you were doing this, that when I wanted to go back and do something for myself, it would impact me?
2: I know. It was ironic, and it was also a reminder of everything that was wrong. There's one document that says you were born in Santiago Titlan. That's the one we paid for the lawyer to fix. And the real one that Isabel vouched for says you were born in Esquintla. And there was Isabel telling us what the lawyer did was wrong. I know. It's exactly what human rights groups would call an irregularity and the sort of thing that got international adoption shut down.
0: And it's why I couldn't complete Mission Paper Trail and get my DPI in Guatemala City. Isabel put her thumbprint on this piece of paper 23 years ago. It had my birthplace right, but it also had a lot of mistakes. And what really matters to me is that no one respected Isabel enough to care if what they wrote was true. After the recording, we walked down to the hotel restaurant for lunch. It was a beautiful place, overlooking the lake. Noisy white birds in the bushes and wooden boats on the water. I was sitting in the middle of the table, my biological family to my right and my adoptive family to my left. There was a lot of ribbing and joking in sutujil and English. And then the waiter came to take our order.
2: And there was this funny moment when Dolores explained to him in Tsu Hill who we were and why we were there. <laughs>
4: It's a, it's a pleasure yeah, of
0: course. Yes, to yeah. have two families. It's amazing. I'm so glad to receive you and we are here to serve you. Muchas gracias. It's un placer. I'm so glad to to know that. Yes, it's a <laughs> pleasure, it's yes, a pleasure. It's Danielle. Okay. <laughs> Bienvenidos. Welcome, gracias, welcome. gracias. The waiter said he was amazed to see two such different families. I thanked him. And then I considered his words. That was what we were two families together as one.
2: And then later that night,
0: we sat down and talked about it.
2: It's just so amazing to me that we just kind of randomly started recording this shit 23 years ago.
0: It's pretty cool. I mean, it's. Yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. And I think one of the things, like, after the interview with Isabel and Josefa, we went and got food, and just sitting with two families was just something, like, we've done before. Um, but I was young, or I was sick, and this just felt like... Looking out over the lake from Santiago to looking at this beautiful place surrounded by my adoptive family and my birth family, it was just like, this is so unique. This is so cool.
2: It was joyful. It was kind of amazing that these worlds were sitting at the table sharing a meal and laughing and having a good time and relaxed. And I'm like, I looked at you and I'm like, that's you. You made this happen.
0: Like sitting next to my birth family and sitting next to my adoptive family and cracking jokes with you Lori and then Isabel taps my shoulder and is talking to me and I have no idea what she's saying like she just talked to me even when Dolores wasn't translating I was like I was trying to understand but she was just talking to me like I was part of the family one of her kids and it really I really felt accepted and I think hearing her say you're my son I think this was a big affirmation I am to heal I'm part of this family and this this is my home you know, I belong here. This was kind of the first time, I will say, where I felt like she talked to me as my mother. We talked about Cristobal, it was very open, it was talking with me, it wasn't through someone else. I think we really, this really made the relationship much better than it's ever been.
1: She seems so much happier today than she ever has in the past. She's laughing and, you know, making jokes. and.
0: And hearing Sutuhil just being spoken like it's no big deal was just so fucking cool. I mean it's in a way very um, relieving for me, I think, because I've carried a lot of guilt knowing I don't speak Sutuhiel and like I'm you know, probably not gonna marry a Sutuhil woman, have Sutuhil kids and like how am I like my legacy is not gonna be Sutuhil and then I always remember, how oh, I have family here. They're going to carry on that tradition. Like, it doesn't end with me. And I think the heal people, indigenous people, have been oppressed for so long, you know, for hundreds of years. And then I'm born and I go to the U.S. And the irony is, like, I oppress my indigenous identity. I want to do everything I can to be American. Why was I doing that to myself? Like, that was just so...
2: Well I also think it's like for you it's a changing thing like you were a rebellious adolescent with an extra heaping of problems and challenges and like that's just part of growing up and now you're grown and it's going to feel different.
0: Yeah I mean I'm finally gotten through everything all this shit I've gone through and I'm kind of like at peace I feel comfortable with myself and like with who I am I'm still you know working on that but it's not something that like I'm having to battle like cancer and kidney disease and simultaneously work on like my identity and adoption so it's kind of like I can just be in the moment be free I was thinking like all of this started just like I was so thankful like wanting to thank you guys um Like trying to do all these things for me, like. But I'm sure that sometimes even you, Lori, and you, Dan, both questioned what you were doing. Every day.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, I I always I always acted sure, but I was never sure. But I'm really curious what Dan, who always acted worried, what he what his reaction to this particular trip is.
1: Well, I'm I'm really. I'm really proud of you. I'm so proud of of how you're handling this, and what you've, how you've come through all this shit that you've come through. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> like I always, I always knew that you know when we adopted you, it was uh, it was a temporary thing. You know, you were you were gonna be ours temporarily and we were gonna raise you and then we were gonna send you out into the world and you were gonna be your own person. And I am just so happy to see that, you know, you are embracing this. We, we have led you here and you have embraced it. And I am really, really happy
0: about that. So at the end of the day, everything seemed like a happy ending. But I still had one more mission to complete. And that had come up when I asked Isabel if she had any questions for me.
4: And it's like she says, she, she's proud of you, like you're, you're the son of Isabel, and you feel this feeling of community as an indigenous person. She's happy about it. But her question What do you think about Cristobal? Is a father, he drinks all the time.
0: Yes, um, I'm very interested to meet him because I think uh, he deserves to have his story told as well, his side of the story. That's why I'm very uh, want to meet him so much because I feel like not knowing him, I'm sort of missing a piece of me. Isabel told me that Cristobal knew I was in town, but she couldn't promise he would be in any shape to meet me. I think we, we go try you to. you have
4: time, yeah.
0: And you yeah. can tell her, please, that I will not meet him without her uh, blessing. We didn't know what would happen with Cristobal, but it seemed like Isabel was okay with us meeting. It was more like she just didn't know if he would show. Next time on All Relative, Defining Diego. If he, what if he meet us outside?
2: Because why?
0: What if he meets us outside? I just want to be ready.
2: It's what I was trying to tell you back in 1999 when Diego was a little tiny baby. I think it really also has filled a bit of, of that
4: kind of void, I would say, being part of the daily all the traditions, speaking the language now.
0: People might ask me where you get this name from, and I can explain to them: this is from my father. Get all episodes of All Relative to Finding Diego ad free right now by subscribing to the Binge, our new podcast channel. Not only will you immediately unlock all episodes of this show. But you'll get ad-free binge access to tons of other great shows included on the Binge channel. Plus, every month subscribers get a binge drop of a brand new series that's all episodes all at once. Start your free trial to The Binge by visiting the All Relative Defining Diego show page on Apple Podcasts or visit getthebinge.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. All Relative, Defining Diego is a production of something else in Sony Music Entertainment. It's written and hosted by me, Lori Stern. And me, Diego Shikai Luke. Mio Warren is our senior producer. Associate producers are India Whitkin and Kyra Asabe Bonsu. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Jude Kampfner, and Tom Koenig. Lizzie Jacobs is our editor. Production management help from E.K. Egbetola and Lily Hamley. Dara Hirsch is our engineer and we had additional mixing by Sam Baer. Our theme song was composed by Gautam Shrikeshan. Fact-checking by Natsumi Ajisaka. Translation by Dolores Watson and Alex Petsay. No relation. Eric Mann is our adoptee consultant. And a special thanks to my dad, Dan Luke. Thank you for being my dad. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.